Ecclesiastes 1, verses 12 to 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. You heard that song by Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. If you listen to some of the words, it sounds just like this section from Ecclesiastes. People of all ages struggle with the meaning of life. Nothing is new under the sun. Nothing really matters is the message of this section. Solomon kindly reintroduces himself for the second time as our teacher and the king who lived in Israel. He then explains that for him, the world was a laboratory, and he chose to be both the scientist and the lab rat, testing one thing after another from the menu of life. Like a mathematician that devotes his life to solving one problem, or a scientist that devotes his life to making one discovery, Solomon devotes his life to answering one question, what is the meaning of life? Or to ask it another way, what makes life valuable, purposeful, and meaningful? So Solomon's question is one of the three most important questions that any human being can ask. Those questions are about origins, where do I come from? Meaning, what is the purpose of my life? destiny, what happens after I die. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, answers the first question. It tells us that we come from God and are uniquely made in his image and likeness with particular dignity, value, and worth. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, answers the third question by telling us that we are going to return to God at the end of this life for an eternal sentencing to either heaven or hell. Genesis and Revelation in between is Ecclesiastes, which answers the middle question. Solomon limits his study to the natural world under heaven or under the sun. The ancients had a worldview which was flat or tiered. There was the underworld, this world, and God who dwelt above the sun and the sky. Solomon limits his study to life under the sun without any reference to the supernatural world. In philosophy, this kind of reasoning is called empiricism 
which basically means all we have to draw from on earth are our five senses and experiences. And his findings are startling. Unlike a good cliffhanger that waits until the very end of the story to reveal the plot, Solomon just punches us in the nose right up front by telling us that the findings of his life experiment, the thesis, if you will, are hopeless. Words like tragic, meaningless, vanity, cannot, are not the kind of things we want to hear about life. Sure, we've all felt that way. However, think about it. We assume that a guy with more degrees than any of us and more wealth than we could ever dream of would come to a more hopeful and less painful answer. Nope. Searching for meaning in life apart from God is as silly as laboring day after day to amass a wind collection. We might think we can collect the wind, but we can't. And essentially we know all this. Nevertheless, for some reason, we just cannot come to accept it. And this explains why we try to get organized, focused, and efficient, but wind up getting only disappointed, frustrated, and jaded. It's like we were made for a world that had it all together. And in our distant, faint collective memory, that thought of home keeps us longing for more than this world offers. We long for the good old days. Ah, the Garden of Eden. Or we long for a better day, the future Garden of Eden in paradise. We are stuck in the middle, longing for meaning. Bible translations are kind of like ice cream, come in all kinds of good flavors. And so sometimes it's good to try a few different flavors, especially when reading a translation of an old language like Hebrew. The English Standard Version of the Bible translate Ecclesiastes 1.15 this way. What is crooked cannot be made straight. Crooked, that's a good word. And this is Solomon's way of explaining the fact that we and our world are cursed. Something has gone terribly wrong, and no matter how many organizations we start, elections we hold, wars we fight, dollars we spend, attempts we make, protests we hold, medications we prescribe, bad guys we lock up, tears we shed, the world is hopelessly crooked and cursed. And this is the teaching or doctrine we call total depravity. And this bothers us, so we want to straighten it out. And the problem is that not only is everything on the earth crooked, so is everyone on the earth. We are all crooked, every one of us, right? Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Crooked, sinful. You can see where this is going. Crooked people cannot straighten out a crooked world. The idealists, especially the young, this all sounds rather fatal. Consequently, they tend to think that other generations got it wrong and they will get it right. Hmm. Yep. 
their parents thought the same thing and found that sex, drugs, and rock and roll only lead to disease, despair, and dead rock icons. Everyone has a different plan, but no one has a successful plan to straighten out this crooked world. To start with, we need someone who is not crooked to get us and everything else straightened out. In a crooked world under the sun, where where might this person be? Nowhere. In a hopeless world under the sun, who might this person be? No one. Our only hope is for someone to come down from above the sun, bringing with them a world that is not cursed. And here is where we see Jesus show up again in Ecclesiastes. The family was over recently, and while many of us were passing babies around, the older grandkids went upstairs to watch some TV. I went to check on them, and they were watching a cooking show. Very popular these days. And it is amazing how complicated some of these dessert recipes are. On the opposite of that, opposite side of that, are the fast food chains that make, well, everything fast and simple, but with endless choices. I went to Subway once and couldn't believe what people try to put into one sandwich. I once went to Mongo's Grill and I couldn't believe the selection, how much people tried to stack and fill their bowls. Have you ever gone to the pita pit? If a loaf of bread married a purse and they had a kid, it would be a pita. And like a purse, you can stuff a lot of various things into a pita. Fast food is so indicative of the world in which we live. You can stuff it with pretty much anything and see if you like it. For the sake of Solomon's experiment, he treats life like fast food, a sub, a buffet, a pita. He tries to stuff various popular things into the pita to find something that satisfies the hunger for a meaningful life. But everything from money to fame, power, food, sex, hobbies, leisure, travel, entertainment, work, both arrogantly and helpfully, Solomon tells us that in all his wisdom, he has tried it all, and his findings are that everything and anything that could give meaning to life is a meaningless mess. Why? Because everything he tried was done apart from God. Maybe an analogy might be a little bit helpful to understand. How many of you like to take family vacations? I regret that we did not do that very much when our kids were young. It was hard for me to get away from my work. For our family was, you know, six of us. We had to get two hotel rooms, too expensive. And then trying to pack everything we needed into a vehicle for camping. Yeah, just not enough room. So we didn't do a whole lot of family vacations. I know, excuses, excuses. But what is the purpose of a family vacation? Well, really, it's to make memories. You can try to make big memories, like big trips taken together somewhere really cool, like Disney World, if you want, or some exotic place. Sometimes these memories are simple, like going for a walk to get ice cream or crafts with the grandkids or simply sharing a meal together or coffee with a friend. 
What makes each memory special, satisfying, and sacred is being with people you love. For me, it's being with my wife and often a few grandkids. Each moment is infused with meaning that would not be the same without them. Think about it. Similarly, when life is lived fully integrated with the presence and purpose of God, everything becomes meaningful in a way that is not possible apart from God. Without God, even the greatest things fail to satisfy us. But with God, even the simplest things fully satisfy us. The secret of life is that it's often less about what you have and where you go and more about whom you are with. Our place in history has afforded us an opportunity to access more information than we ever have been able to before. The only problem is that the more we know, the more we have the potential to grieve and fear losing it. For this reason, some people stop following the news altogether, since it's just an endless parade of brutal human suffering. If, as Solomon says, more knowledge only brings more grief, is there then really any hope? 1 Corinthians 13.12 says that, you know, now we see in a mirror dimly. Later we'll see face to face. Now we know in part. Old preachers a long time ago would use the analogy of like a loom or needlepoint tapestry to explain how to see life. If you peer under the needlepoint or cross-stitch or loom, tapestry, it appears to be nothing more than a hopeless mess of knots and threads, chaos, disorder, or to use the words of Solomon, meaningless. But if you peer above the needlework, everything is different. As a beautiful, intricate, and purposeful designed pattern emerges, life under the sun is basically life under the loom. All we see is grief and sorrow, meaninglessness. Therefore, we must find a way to get above the loom for a new perspective. And for that to happen, someone from above the loom needs to visit us under the loom and give us a greater view. And that person, the only person to do that, is Jesus Christ. Jesus understood that this was his ministry, saying of himself in Matthew 12, verse 42, Someone greater than Solomon is here. Amen. I am so grateful that Jesus has come. We just celebrated that at Christmas time. That he lived the life I could never have lived. That he died the death that I should have died. That he rose from the dead and conquered death for me. And he lives. And he sent his Holy Spirit to be with me always. To comfort and guide and remind me of these truths. He gives perspective and meaning to life. And boy do we need perspective and meaning in this day and age. The essence of wisdom is getting above to make sense of our life and world by seeing the master plan of our great God who is threading everything together into what will, in the end, be a beautiful tapestry. We get a glimpse of God's amazing work in the Bible. Not the easiest book to pick up and understand, but once you see that it is all about Jesus, it becomes the most amazing book you will ever read. 
because it reveals God's plan of salvation for the world. Sometimes God chooses to not give us a glimpse above the tapestry, just yet for our own personal lives and world events. We should be okay with that. In those moments, as we stare up at the tapestry, faith is waking up every day, every moment, in every circumstance, trusting that above the tapestry is a great God who loves us. He has a grand design and sees things very differently than we do. And this faith compels us to trust him until the day we join him above the sun. And on that day when our faith becomes sight, we will worship him for his gracious work to make our lives, even the worst parts, meaningful, purposeful, and beautiful. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? So much. We don't just view this world through our senses. Oh, no. We have been given the eyes and the ears of faith. Amen.